John Gormley. Welcome and good to have you here across the great province of Saskatchewan on this day. Well, it's a little chillier, but uh, so much for the big cold front rolling in that we were being warned about a couple of days ago. Well, you know with some certainty it's on its way. It wouldn't be late November without weather a lot colder than we've had. But the longer we can forestall this, the better. Well, I want to just give a quick shout out to the dozens of listeners. And I mean, it was a gang yesterday who uh, came by to say hello at Agribition. I did the show live from the 52nd annual Canadian Western Agribition in Regina. And uh, we had some great visiting, great chats. And a number of listeners who just came over to, in fact, what was so funny was there are listeners over 25 years of this show who call. You know, you may know know, XYZ from whatever community. You know their name. You know them. I've never met them. So yesterday had all sorts of people walking up. Hey, I'm Keith in Regina. What? What? The Keith who calls, the Keith who texts. Yep. There's actually two Keiths in Regina and they both think they're the only one, but I'll leave that to them to work out one day. So it was just magnificent yesterday. And I'm, I'm honored and touched and I'm almost speechless just how the relationship we've developed over the years. And I just want to thank every single one of you for that. And it's been a, a real honor to be a part of this with you. In fact, I was laughing yesterday at one point, Kevin, who we dubbed conspiracy Kevin years ago and Somebody said to me once, you don't call him Conspiracy Kevin that much anymore. And I said, well, a lot of the things he used to talk about that we thought were conspiracies have kind of come true. But he and I will still have vigorous disagreements on many things. I get them lit up from time to time. So Kevin drops by yesterday. Quick Dick McDick was on the show with us as a guest. Jack from Lumsden comes by. And all of a sudden, the three of them are standing there talking. And I thought, I should just get a boom mic and just put it over and let them carry the show. But it was uh, splendid yesterday. Thank you. And the countdown is on. I have three more programs before I take my leave here on Friday. Uh, We're not doing anything different. Somebody said to me, you know, every show. I said, no, every show is going to be every show. I mean, whatever the big stories are today, we're on them. We talk about them. That's the way I'm wired. Uh, Friday, however, we will leave the show wide open There will only be one planned guest on Friday. It'll be Belton, of course, with its eating time. But we will get your take. We'll check in with what this radio show has meant for you, some memories. And I'll share a lot of memories with you as well. So it'll be just you, me, and a chance to talk Saskatchewan. Okay, down to it today. So... Israel and Hamas, and this is a negotiated four-day ceasefire, will take effect Thursday morning. And as you know, just given the time change, it is evening now in Israel. So later on this afternoon, it will be Thursday morning in Israel, there will be a four-day ceasefire to facilitate the release of dozens of the hostages, the 240 hostages, seized by Hamas terrorist gunmen in that October 7th attack into southern Israel. They attacked at 22 different points in Israel. They murdered over 1,200 people, took 240 hostage. Now, it will not be a complete release. Apparently, and this comes from uh, Egypt's state-run Kahara TV, uh, the truce will take effect at 10 o'clock local time tomorrow morning. So that will be 
sometime late tonight, our time. And Qatar, the Persian Gulf nation, has been involved in mediating this. Uh, They said 50 hostages will be released in stages in exchange for 150 Palestinian prisoners who will have to be released by Israel. Now, many of the Palestinian prisoners are not high-profile Hamas terrorists. A lot of them are younger people involved in different protests and riots, stone-throwing, fighting with Israeli troops and the like, and those people have been jailed. So about 150 Palestinians will be released in exchange for 50 of the 240 hostages. Now, Israel has said this four-day truce can be extended for one day for every 10 hostages released by Hamas. So if Hamas is prepared to keep releasing some of the hostages, at least those who are still alive, and we have no idea how many are alive because a number of them as Hamas does, were being used as shields uh, inside Hamas missile batteries and the like that have been destroyed by the Israelis. So there is a likelihood some of these hostages may have perished, but we will see what happens. So for those chanting a ceasefire, which basically means an end to the hostilities, which gives Hamas an opportunity to fight back and fire missiles into Israel, Israel up to this point has completely denied or rejected that a ceasefire will happen. Uh, The Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, said Israel, after the four-day truce, if it's not extended because Hamas will release more hostages, Israel would resume the war, quote, until we achieve all our goals, which includes the defeat of Hamas and the return of all of the 240 hostages. So that's what we know today, and it's... uh, a glimmer for people who just wish the fighting would end. So in the legislature day before yesterday, I love it when I can predict things. And like any good psychic, the tiny percentage of times I'm accurate. I remind you for time immemorial, the other times I'm wrong. We just ah, forget I made the prediction. So this was last week. Jennifer Bowes, who is clearly on the young, woke, very left side of the NDP, and uh, the provincial NDP are really challenged by this because a lot of the newcomers into the NDP are the complete woke crowd, and you you know them. They're cancel culture, they're this, they're that. And among reasonable grown-up adults, and I mean reasonable grown-up adults on both the left and the right spectrum— I mean, a lot of grown-up progressives and social democrats listen to this braying continued cancel culture. You know, and they may be left-wing progressives, but they're reasonable grown-up adults. They say, this isn't my party. So the NDP's been really challenged by how do you deal with this hard, hard left woke crowd. So Jennifer Bose kind of comes from that constituency. So she posted on social media last week, the white dove of peace, November 20th, 1 till 3 p.m., Saskatchewan Legislature. Join the legislative proceedings and hold Saskatchewan accountable. And I laughed when I saw the. I said it yesterday, uh, last week. What do you mean, join the legislative proceedings? You can come and observe the legislative proceedings, but you don't join the proceedings. 
So bring your ID, ask to be seated in the East or West Gallery. So two days ago, the East and West Galleries were full of pro-Palestinian protesters who began chanting, they began yelling, uh, they draped their own Palestinian flag on the same flagpole as where the State of Israel's flag has been hanging now since October the 8th. So and one of them was very triggered to see the Israeli flag was just so, so disturbing for her. Um, so this was a setup, and that language was to tell. Join the legislative proceedings? No, you don't. You're in the gallery. You're not there yelling at the politicians, and that's what they did. So Premier Mo yesterday, quote, because legislature ended up being shut down, uh, in light of what occurred yesterday, which was troubling, the first time in my knowledge, the history of the province, the government operations were actually shut down in the House due to the actions of many. And then the point was, he said, uh, the actions were extremist. And then he said at least one member of the NDP caucus was involved in sharing some of the social media posts and organizing the event yesterday. Carla Beck uh, quickly jumps in. Um, question periods are opportunity to get to the concerns of the people of the province. Uh, some of our members met people as they came into the building, but there was no role by any NDP opposition MLA organizing the event. Now, Jennifer Bowes, again, doesn't say she organized it, but she posted this. And then when this gang were braying and chanting and shutting down the legislature, guess who was standing at her desk in solidarity with the protesters? Jennifer Bose, because both the NDP and the SAS party benches had cleared because the speaker said, you know, the House is being adjourned and everybody moved on. Jennifer Bose stood there in solidarity. So it is what it is. And and I'm not sure the premier is accurate on his history. Um, organized labor, uh, one day I remember stormed the legislature back, gosh, late 80s, early 90s, um, entering. Uh, I think we've had protests before in the galleries that have required the, the business of the House to be adjourned, I think. I could be wrong. Uh, but I'll check that the premier uh, is more accurate in his history than I am. But he said uh, he believes this was uh, the first time, to my knowledge, in the history of the province that government operations were actually shut down. So, Oh, and what did the pro-Palestinian ceasefire river to the sea protesters accomplish? Nothing. So, oh, it is what it is. Well, I was thinking uh, just this morning... Uh, the 50th anniversary of the assassination of JFK 10 years ago, this day, November the 22nd, 1963, and this remains in popular culture. And the 50th anniversary 10 years ago, we had the aforementioned Kevin, conspiracy Kevin, as a guest on the show that day. I remember asking him, do a little research. And he was a guest. We had him on the phone for about half an hour, and he was going over the well-known conspiracies. Well, today is the 60th anniversary in Dallas. As the presidential motorcade went by, the Texas School Book Depository, shots rang out from a window high above President John F. Kennedy shot and killed. But it still remains one of the great 
conspiracy theories of all time. Was there a gunman on the nearby grassy knoll? Were there other people who had fired? Lee Harvey Oswald, of course, was held out to have been the gunman. He was murdered by nightclub owner Jack Ruby several days later, so we never got a chance to get Oswald's full story. And then I look on the screen as we start to get to the calls now, and Kevin in Regina has a thought 60 years later on the JFK assassination. Okay, yours, your calls, lines are yours at 877-332-8255. We'll start with Kevin on JFK six decades later on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. Uh, this is funny. About 10 minutes ago, I was looking at some of the text. Ross in Saskatoon said, uh, you know, it's the 60th anniversary of the assassination of JFK. I wonder, bracket, hope, bracket, conspiracy Kevin might call in. Well, it's all coming together, Ross. Nothing succeeds <laughs> like a plan I didn't make. Okay. Me um, what are you thinking six decades later? Well, lots, John. Curiously, I have one of those uh, on-this-day calendars. My wife buys me one every year for Christmas. And I'm looking down November 22nd. You know, it's the 11th month. It's also the 47th week. 44 and 7 is 11. And it's the 326th day. 3, 2, 6 added together is 11. 11, 11, 11. Interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, just something that happened to notice. So, John F. Kennedy, right, born into wealth. Groomed to be president. Yep. Um, you know, a war vet, a hero, war hero, right? And becomes president of the United States of America. And why and who killed President Kennedy? The crackdown on, or, you know, on uh, organized crime that his brother Bobby, you know, who he recruited to be the attorney general, was one of the speculations. Uh, the Cold War was, uh, it, it even got chillier, but it was at a chilly point with, of course, uh, Khrushchev and Russia and the Cuban Missile Crisis he'd navigated through months earlier. So yeah, there was always became, became, Russia uh, and the mob. Wasn't that the conventional wisdom? Well, there was all those different theories, right? He, he, but the, the reality of it is, in his presidency, he became uh, the, the, the world's greatest dare we say, most successful peacekeeper, peacemaker, right? Which was totally against the system, you know? So, so why and who killed him publicly is as important today, and maybe more so, uh, as it was then, John. And, 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 you know, without question, the evidence for a conspiracy organized at the deepest levels of the intelligent communities, I use the word communities, and the deep state is unmistakable. It's overwhelming, and it's formidable. It's without question. And here's why it's so important today is because the very people who orchestrated Kennedy's assassination are the people who are pulling the strings today. And then all of what we're experiencing today. You know, Kennedy, Kennedy made some very great speeches, as you well know, which, which play into some of these conspiracies. Of course, of course you have the one where, where he spoke about before we are, we are opposed around the world by a monolithic 
ruthless conspiracy that relies on covert measures for expanding its sphere of influence, infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead but was, of election. But he was talking Russia, though. No, no, John. He wasn't. He was talking to us. Here, here's the deal, okay? He also spoke about in his inauguration speech, in the long history of the world, only a few generations have been granted the role of defending freedom in its maximum hour of danger. He also went on to say he does not shirk from that. Freedom's maximum hour of danger is now. It's right before our very eyes. We're witnessing it. All the very wars, the Cold War, the endless wars, the nuclear threat, all these things that Kennedy fought for and was successful at are, are at their feverish moment right now before our very eyes. And if we don't heed his warning, which you, I'm sorry to do this, John, but you dismiss on a regular basis that they're not that organized when, in fact, he warned us they are. We're in trouble, John. Okay, before I let you go, uh, you and I talked 10 years ago on this, and I remember you said I had some theories. When I researched it, I came up with more theories. Was it gunman at the grassy knoll, Lee Harvey Oswald as the patsy, or where did the gunshots come from? I can't believe you gave me this opportunity. Thank you very much, sir. Have you ever heard of the Liberty, the ship, the Liberty, that was sunk in the Mediterranean Sea? Have you ever heard of that? You might want to look that up, people. Okay? I need you to be real quick, Kevin. So where, where did the shots come from? Well, it was by the intelligence community, the intelligence of, of the CIA and, and their buddies over in Israel called the Mossad. So they were actually pulling the trigger on the guns? Well, I don't know if they were pulling the triggers, but they certainly organized, the, as far as I'm concerned, they organized and orchestrated the plan. 60th anniversary of the assassination of President Kennedy. And I'm not sure it haunts all of us still. But it haunts many still. Sally, hang on. Sally asks a very salient question about people who at 1 o'clock in the afternoon on a weekday can show up to protest. What is the question? We will talk about that next with you. Phones are yours. Lots of texts. The hour of the big stories where everything goes here on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. Good to have you here. I'm John Gormley. Midweek Wednesday, Saskatchewan's smartest radio listener coming up and so much more. Okay, back to the call. So we were talking about the demonstration that closed down the Saskatchewan legislature on Monday. It had had uh, plenty of advance advertising. Jennifer Bowes, NDP MLA, last week, November 20th, 1 to 3, Saskatchewan legislature join the legislative proceedings and hold Saskatchewan accountable because Saskatchewan is responsible for the Hamas attack on Israel and Saskatchewan is responsible for Israel's response and Saskatchewan... Okay. Yeah, it's a play to the 
you know, very, very active pro-Palestinian protesters. And I, I understand their pain. Gosh, I couldn't imagine what it would be like to have family in either Gaza or over in the West Bank. I also couldn't imagine what it would be like to have the UNRWA, the United Nations Work and Relief, for 40 years telling you every day that you're a refugee, telling you every day that life is hopeless, telling you every day that one day if we all work together, we will drive the Jews out of the Middle East. Um, I couldn't imagine what that frame of reference would be like. Because one thing we talk a lot about on this show, whether it's your own life in your family, life as a mom or dad, life at work, hope, resilience, getting up one more time than you fall down. That's what leads you to better places. So the protesters on cue showed up. They were stuffed into the East and West Gallery. Uh, They chanted. They disrupted the legislative proceedings. So the House was adjourned for the day, and the protesters milled around, and they were triggered by the sight of an Israeli flag in the rotunda. Look, if you're asking reasonable people to say, does Israel have a right to A, exist, B, defend itself? I think you're going to find, at least in this part of the world, pretty good acceptance of those two premises. Uh, Sally in Lestock, I appreciate you hanging on. Thank you. Um, the demonstrators on Monday at the ledge, what did you think? Well, what I, I want to uh, thank you for all the information you've given me for so many years. But oh, well, thank uh, you. don't these people work? <laughs> like, how do you have time? To go demonstrate, unless you're taking a sick or personal day, and all the walks, people do all those walks, and how do you get the time off from work? (laughs) I've often wondered about that, and and I don't know why it's a certain kind of person with a certain political view as opposed to a certain other person with a political view. There seems to be one group that shows up in the middle of weekdays for rallies on cue. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, are I you, don't understand it. Well, you know, there are some things in our lives we seek to gain understanding of. Now, of course, a lot of the people who would have shown up were students. Uh, the pro-Palestinian student protests are huge. And uh, just talk to anybody around a university. It's the thing you do if you're a university student. And I get it. I think probably, although it was eons ago, uh, when I was in university, uh, and of course the Israel-Palestinian issue has gone on since 1948, um, I think in the late 70s in university, I probably, mid-late 70s, uh, because of your, your your heart aches when you see uh, people who are refugees, when you see people driven out of their homes, when you see people who are the casualties of war. And I probably led with my heart too. I still do. But now I understand the virulent, evil, Islamist-influenced Hamas and other terrorist organizations and what they do. Um, here's an interesting uh, question as this four-day ceasefire will start our time late tonight. It'll be 10 a.m. Thursday in Israel. Uh, four-day ceasefire, and that will be good. It'll be an opportunity, they think, 
to uh, have some of the hostages released and a hostage trade-off. The Hamas terrorists have agreed to release 50 of their 200-plus hostages they took on October the 7th, Israel agreeing to release 150 people uh, who are Palestinians in Israeli jails. But Michael Higgins writes in the National Post, and I didn't see this survey done November the 14th. It was a polling company in the West Bank who polled Palestinians living in the West Bank and down in Gaza about what kind of state they wanted to establish. A number of us in the West, and I've believed this for a long time, hope there can be a two-state solution. There can be an independent state of Palestine. There can be Israel. Now, certain factors and segments in Israel, including Netanyahu, get in the way of this with their support of very radical Israeli settlers who like to settle in lands the Palestinians have claimed. So it's a really divisive point. So a lot of us who are two-state people would like to convince certain people in Israel to just pull it back. But conversely, you'd like to convince certain people in the Palestinian territories to say, carve out a state, stop attacking Israel, and try and coexist. I'm not sure after October the 7th that two-state solution even really has a chance anymore. But here's what the poll tells you. This is fascinating. So 17% of respondents in the two Palestinian areas, 17% favor a two-state solution. 5% favor one state for two peoples. So in other words, an Israel that has uh, lots of Palestinian citizens in it, Lots of Jewish and Israeli citizens, so one state that would have two peoples. Only 5% support that. 17% say two-state. 75% favor a Palestinian state from the river to the sea. And Michael Higgins writes, for those who have not been witnessing pro-Palestinian marches and rallies recently, this phrase means a Palestinian state from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean with no Israel in between. When the protesters chant, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, it is not, as some suggest, an aspirational cry echoing the hopes of the Palestinians for freedom from Israeli occupation. It is, according to this poll, the clear expression of the genocidal intent of most Palestinians, three out of four of them, who want to obliterate Israel from the map. So that is what we know. And again, and this is why, notwithstanding law professors and the left saying, we need to contextualize the Hamas attack. No, you don't need to contextualize these things. When someone chants from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, they want no state of Israel to exist. They want the present state to be obliterated. Now it's up to them to explain why they chant that and why they believe that. A young lawyer named Robert Baker, new grad, uh, 2021 from U of T Faculty of Law, uh, writes a piece called Lawyers Contextualizing Hamas Attack is a Threat on the Rule of Law. And he says, if you want to start contextualizing the atrocities of October the 7th, He goes through examples 
of things you might want to contextualize. And uh, he goes back to Israel, uh, Gaza, West Bank, 2000, 1973, 1967, 1948. If we can justify the October 7th attack because of the Palestinian context, then we must explain the existence of the state of Israel and its struggle to survive in the context of the Holocaust and the post-war landscape of ruin and displaced persons. And it's a really well-written piece, so I would recommend you have a look at that. All right, you name it, calls are here. 877-332-8255. Doug's next, and you on the hour of the big stories where everything goes on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. Stephanie Carvin is going to be here top of the hour. Uh, International Relations Prof. Carlton. We've chatted with Stephanie before. And Professor Carvin wrote a book a few years ago about this odd group inside the Department of Foreign Affairs, Global Affairs Canada. They're all diplomats who kind of behave a little bit like the CIA. Nobody regulates them. It's not a particularly well-kept secret, but it's just a Canadian anomaly it's now beginning to look like that might have been part of the problem when the two Michaels were captured and brought into custody by the Chinese. That's coming up top of the hour. Uh, Doug, thanks for hanging on. The uh, Palestinian rallies are going on around the province, including shutting down the legislature on Monday. Uh, what do you make of it? Oh, I'm not surprised, John, and congratulations on your new future. Oh, thank you. Um, I, I just wanted to... Uh, I guess just touch on how times change uh, throughout the years. I was part of a couple of rallies that took place in Regina, which hardly anyone will even remember. One was uh, 780 uh, agricultural and oil field trucks that come through the city there one morning. Mm-hmm. And uh, the next one was uh, a little later on. And that one, when it come to Regina, Premier Mo, uh, he actually barricaded the legislative grounds, both on the Wascana end and on the Albert Street end and surrounding streets around it. And he closed down the, the legislative buildings and wouldn't, would not allow any access in the, in the, into the parking lots or anything around the ledge. First time, to my knowledge, that the Saskatchewan ledge was ever closed down to the public and no admittance. And those these were just rallies. They weren't protests. And now we have MLAs. We have MLAs that are inviting protesters to come in and sit in the gallery. And I mean protesters, not people making a rally or a statement. And and I just find it ironic. I don't have very much sympathy for Premier Mo. He forgets he forgets what he did for for a bunch of people, his own Saskatchewan citizens, coming to his city to get to their legislative buildings. He blocked them out of there with with cement barricades. Yep. No, I, I remember that well, and that was, uh, it wasn't related to the truckers' convoy, but it was part of the COVID protests, and they put up those uh, cement mini walls that you move around to prevent the trucks from actually getting on the legislative grounds. Yeah. That was in 2019. 
Oh, that was the first one. Okay. Um, yeah, no, this was nothing to do with COVID. COVID but I, sorry, I thought they allowed you to go. I thought that was the COVID one they blocked. Okay. There was, oh, they, they said it, and it was blocked actually for, I think, I believe almost two weeks because some of the, some of the uh, participants sat on Albert Street for two or three days. Okay. I know. But it yeah, assembled in there and they blocked off total access from the Wascana, east to Wascana Parkside. You couldn't get in there and they blocked off surrounding streets as well. Yeah, good point. And so your point is the premier doesn't deserve sympathy because he was stopped. That was the first of the uh, carbon tax oil um, protests. And there was a convoy. We tend to forget. You remember the convoy that did go to Ottawa? And before they'd even hit the national capital region, they were all racists and terrorists. And it's the usual Ottawa spin on these things. Uh, James in Saskatoon, Krisha Freeland yesterday bringing in the fall economic statement. What do you think? Oh, my God, John. What do we say sometimes, you know? Like, <laughs> exactly. So here we have a government that, by all measure, has created their own demise, right? But what does Christia Freeland do with the the um, the the update that she's going to bring to all Canadians that they want to show restraint and that they care about people? So in her statement, the the issue is that she brings up that it's the mean banks, it's the mean banks that are overcharging you. Like she's reading basically from Judbeat Singh's playbook. And, and trying to say that they're going to create a whole new office, a whole new bureaucracy. Because what was wrong with uh, OSEP, you know, the uh, Office for the Superintendent of Financial Institutions, OSEVI? You know, like, th that, that office has always been there, but that's not good enough. We're going to create a new one because, guess what? Interest rates are rising. Why? Well, because <laughs> you're spending too much damn money. Yeah, good point. The Bank of Canada has raised interest rates to try to tamp down inflation, inflation driven by excessive government debt loads. Good point. Uh, by the way, the only one you want to watch is how much of your money are they spending? Budget spending will be $489 billion this year. Last year was 473 so it's good to know. Uh, Perry and Osler, quickly, uh, Saskatchewan senator on the Ag Committee trying to save Bill C-234. What did you make of it? Uh, it made me pretty upset because, number one, is I've never voted for a senator in my life. He says he re represents Saskatchewan, but yet he's for a carbon tax. So you don't represent Saskatchewan. You represent Justin Trudeau. And the whole election system in Canada, I gave it a new nickname. I say the federal election system is called the Chinese election system because one area of Canada, if you don't get that area, you can only get a minority government. Yeah, no, it's a good point. It's where the people are. Uh, yeah, Senator Cotter supports the carbon tax, which puts him offside with most Saskatchewanians. At least he's trying to keep the important exemption for farmers. And for that, we give him credit. This is 650 CKOM and 980 CJME.